This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Last week we talked about the rapture a good deal. Well, some, anyway. You could talk about it forever, I guess. Today we want to talk about the tribulation. But let me remind you of something that Daniel said. Daniel spoke a lot and prophesied a lot about end time things. And, and uh, it's, uh, a lot of people know of Daniel's 70 weeks. 69 weeks uh, are identified. One week is uh, identified as a seven-year period. And um, uh, 62 weeks, it talks about as um, uh, up to the time of Jesus. And then there's a break between the the 69th and the 70th week, and that break is the church age. Now, Daniel says about the things of the end, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, it says, But thou, O Daniel, here's God speaking to Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. I want you to notice that phrase, the time of the end. Now, what do we know about the time of the end? Notice what it says, Many shall run to and fro, it means travel shall increase, and knowledge shall increase, shall be increased. Those are two uh, things that are taking place today more than anything uh, any other time, in a greater degree than any other time. Now, the time of the end is identified in Scripture as uh, a, a very specific start time and a very specific end time. We know that the Bible speaks of the last days. Well, what does it mean when it talks about the last days? It's talking about what Daniel was uh, told by the Lord, the time of the end. The time of the end began with the resurrection of Jesus, and it ends with the rapture of the church. The time of the end is the church age. So we are 2,000, roughly 2,000 years into the time of the end or into the church age or into the last days. And the Bible gives us some very important information. Um, the book of Revelation, we, we are, our intent with this, uh, this series is to talk about the rapture. We did some of that last week. We will continue to this week as well. Uh, talk about the tribulation. We want to talk about the, the um, return of Jesus in power and glory and the millennium, and then we want to talk about the end, uh, the end of time, literally the end of time. So we've got more to do than, than what we have time to do, which is not unusual for me. But um, uh, we want to take care of uh, some of these things. We, we don't, I, this is not intended to be a, a verse-by-verse or a chapter-by-chapter exposition on the, the uh, book of Revelation. Uh, we've done that at other times, and if you need to get the, the teaching on that, it's available in the bookstore. But we want to have uh, an understanding, we want as the, the people of God, we want to have an understanding of what is coming so that we know to prepare for it. Now, John is the one that received the revelation. And it's interesting that the revelation is not called the revelation of the end. It's not called the revelation of doom and gloom. It's not called the revelation of terrible things to come. It's the revelation of Jesus. Now, the one thing that you want to keep in mind as a, as a member of the family of God, the number one thing about the book of Revelation is it's about Jesus. It's not about the devil. Now, some people have the idea that, well, you can't understand the book of Revelation. Then why didn't God call it, why did God call it Revelation then? Revelation means to be revealed or to be un, uncovered or, or that which was hidden to be shown openly. He wants you to know. He's not trying to keep you in the dark about anything. But the reason that so many people get confused, it seems to me at least, is that they're trying to talk about the devil and they're trying to focus on the devil and his works and all this kind of stuff where the end is concerned. And folks, the end is all about Jesus. Now, I want you to notice that uh, in uh, chapter 4, John gives 
an introductory chapter. Chapter 1 is an introduction to tell about what happened to him. Chapter twos and chapters 2 and 3 are letters to the churches. Chapter 4 begins the revelation of Jesus concerning the end of times or the time of the end, as Daniel spoke of it. Now, let's start reading in verse 1 of chapter 4. Here's what starts the revelation of what we know of the tribulation period. It said, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Now, he's already been in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He's already seen Jesus. Jesus has already told him things, messages to the church. But notice he says, A door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard. Now, that's the voice that he refers to in chapter 1 where Jesus spoke to him and gave him the messages to the church. The first voice I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Now, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know how to describe a voice that sounds like a trumpet that's talking to you. But that's the way John described it. He said it was a voice as of a trumpet talking with me, which said, notice what the voice said, come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter, things yet to come. Now, come yet to come from when? He's already given the churches the message. The church, the messages to the churches are all be faithful, overcome. Here's how you overcome. Here's the reward that's available to you for overcoming. Now he says after that, after the warning to the, uh, to the churches, he says, I'm going to show you things which will come up, will come hereafter. But notice where he does it from. He does it from a different location than John was physically located. The voice said, come up hither. Verse 2, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So when God said, when the voice of the Lord Jesus spoke as the voice that sounded like a trumpet talking, when he said, come up hither, where does John go? He goes to heaven. Now, I don't know if he went physically or if he went in spirit. I don't know. Paul talked about a similar experience to this. Paul talked about in in writing to the Corinthians, he said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Such a one was caught up into heaven and heard heard words which are unlawful to speak. King James says unlawful. It literally means I don't have anything to describe these words that I heard to you. Now, John is describing a voice that sounds like a trumpet. Okay, good try, John, but I don't think you're really getting across to me at least what you mean. Maybe one day when we hear the voice, we'll say, oh, okay, now I understand what John was trying to say. But how do you describe things that are beyond anything that you've ever experienced before? How do you relate something that nobody has ever experienced to somebody that has never experienced it? How do you describe a tree to a blind person? Do you see what I mean? These are things that are that have never been seen, things that have never been heard, things that have never been experienced. John is doing his best, but he says he's caught up into heaven. Paul said the same thing about himself. He said, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Well, that tells me right away that Paul was by himself when this experience happened. Because if I'd been with Paul, praying with Paul, and he was caught up into heaven, I would have known whether he left spiritually or with his body. So would you. But he must have been by himself. There was nobody here to say, yeah, Paul, your body disappeared. Or what do you mean you went to heaven, your body stayed right here? There's nobody to tell him. It happened for him alone, just like it happened with John alone, and both of them were caught up into heaven. Now, did he go physically? I don't know. Maybe he just went in spirit. That's very possible, probable in my in my thinking. But notice that the book of Revelation, talking about the end time events, things that are to come hereafter, starts with a catching up into heaven. That's significant, folks. And he says he sees certain things. What does he see? 
He uh, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. That's God. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow around about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. Sounds pretty. Verse 4, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Verse 6, and there was before the throne, and before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast, it talks about what he looks like. God must think these things look good. I, I don't, I don't know. It's a little different, but maybe we'll see when we get there. Okay, notice what the things that Paul said, or John said, excuse me. Notice the things that John identified. He identified the throne of God. Well, we know that's got to be in heaven. He identified the elders, 24 of them sitting around the throne. Then he identified the seven spirits of God. And then he talked about the sea of glass. Now, the rule of Scripture is very simple. This, simply this. Anytime the Bible talks about a sea, if it doesn't identify which sea it's talking about, like the Mediterranean Sea or the Sea of Galilee or something like that, anytime it speaks in a figurative manner about seas, it's talking about people. Now, how do we know this is talking about people? Well, notice what's represented before the throne. The 24 elders represent the church. Elders are always representatives of man to God and God to man. If there's 24, we know the 12 tribes of Israel. That's God's signs of government. The 12 tribes of Israel, plus we know the 12 disciples or apostles that he chose, which the foundation of the church was upon, was laid upon. So we see a, a number of 24, which represents both the old covenant servants of God and the new covenant, New Ch- Testament church. Now, if the saints are there, if the, all the representatives are there, how is it possible that the church is not there with them? Furthermore, he said the seven spirits of the, the seven spirits of God are there. The Holy Spirit's there in complete and total manifestation. How is that possible if you and I are still here on the earth? One of the th- simple rules of Scripture is, if any part of it's a lie, it's all a lie. It has to be true. It has to be absolutely true in order for it to be the Word of God. God said the Holy Spirit, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, that he would abide with you forever. How long is forever? Does forever mean until the tribulation? Or does forever mean forever? God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If the Holy Spirit is in heaven in full manifestation, it's impossible for the church to be on the earth. Furthermore, we see about the elders. We see in chapter 5, it goes in and explains a little bit more about the elders. It says in verse 8, And when he had taken the book, this is talking about Jesus, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Notice the elders are associated with the prayers of the saints. The connection is the elders and the connected to the church. Verse 9, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made unto us our, uh, made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Who is that if it's not the church? The sea of glass is the church. It's the rapture of the church. Chapter 15, Verse 2 talks about a sea of glass mingled with fire, indicating the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. 
The book of Revelation starts with, well, the, the times of the end, the times of the tribulation period, start with the church and its presence in heaven. Please understand that nothing happens before the church is in heaven. Now, one thing we know is in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 7 and 8, I believe it is, it says that the mystery of iniquity, the work of the Antichrist, is already at work here on the earth, but he, the individual, the Antichrist, cannot be revealed until the one that's preventing him and hindering him from being revealed is taken out of the way. Now, who is that? It's the church. The Bible speaks specifically about the church being the hindering power of God. We are the body of Christ. We're the only thing stopping the Antichrist from being uh, revealed now. If our generation does see Jesus come back, then the Antichrist has to be alive. And the church is holding it back. Now, folks, that may be the biggest miracle of all time to me. The church, as disjointed as it is, as weak as it is, as greatly as the majority of the church denies the truth and the power of God's word, we're still the thing holding him back. We're holding back the devil's biggest and best shot. Imagine what we could do if we acted like the church. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. The chastisement of your peace was upon him, that's provision. That's the penalty or the uh, uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty. And by his stripes, you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect them to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Chapter 6 tells us the first things that happen regarding the end after the church is in heaven. It says, uh, verse 1, chapter 6, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals and heard as it was the noise of thunder and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. Notice no arrows, just a bow. How good is a bow without arrows? What are you going to do with that? He that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, folks, i got to tell you, this cannot be Jesus. Some people see this white horse, crowns, and all this kind of stuff, and they think, well, that's Jesus. I thought Jesus already had his crowns. I thought Jesus was already crowned when he defeated the devil. I thought that's the reason why he sat down on the right hand of the Father and why Jesus told the church, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. I thought Jesus already conquered. Who's he got left to conquer? This isn't Jesus, folks. This is somebody that takes power on the earth. Somebody without weapons, but with the appearance of a great person. The appearance of a conqueror. This is the Antichrist. 
Well, then, if 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8 is true, then the church has to be out of the way before he can be revealed. That substantiates even further that the sea of glass in chapter 5 is the church standing before the throne of God. Now, the second thing it says happens, the second seal, and this really is the beginning of the tribulation period. Verse 3, it says, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard a second beast saying, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. The first thing that the Bible says, other than the Antichrist given freedom to do his thing here on the earth, the next thing it refers to is a war. Now, the war that's talked about, the war that's referred to is in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It talks about a gathering, Russia being the head, Iran being the, the second, you know, right-hand man, second in charge, but a coalition of armies that come and attack Israel. Now, not everybody agrees that that's the war that, that Revelation chapter 6 is talking about. But if it's not, I mean, it's World War III. Let me read to you some of the... Um, uh, some of the players in this, uh, in this war. It says that, um, it's talking about Gog and Magog. Gog is the leader of Russia. Magog is Russia itself. Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, those are the form, those are, uh, according to ancient maps, those are territories that are now known as, as the former Soviet republics. Persia is Iran. Kush is the Sudan, Ethiopia, and, uh, uh, uh Eritrea. Put is Libya, Algeria, and Tunisia. Gomer is Turkey and parts of uh, Germany and Austria. Beth Tagarma is in the list. That's Armenia and the Turkish-speaking peoples of Asia Minor and Central Asia. It, says, it speaks of countries with mountainous borders with Israel. That's Syria, Lebanon, and northern Jordan. It speaks of many people with them also. All the, the uh, previous territories in previous countries are Islamic territories. And then finally it mentions Sheba and Dedan which is probably Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, and the Gulf states. If you put all these things together, put all these countries together, you'll find out basically they are Islamic states that are joined against Israel, and they come down from the north through Syria to attack Israel, and that begins the first day of the of the tribulation. Now, like I said, not everybody agrees that that's the way that it works. Okay, if that's not the way that it works, then that means we've got World War III to come before the tribulation starts. Now, Ezekiel 38 and 39 tells very specifically what happens when this war begins. It says that in one day, one 24-hour period, Israel is standing alone. There's no other country, America included, that stands with them. It says that God destroys not only the armies, but he reigns upon the countries that, are, that make up this coalition armies or coalition group. He reigns uh, hailstones mingled with fire on those countries and leaves only the sixth part of the countries, not the armies. He destroys the armies and the weapons. And it says those weapons um, burn for seven years. That's an interesting number because that's the length of the tribulation period. But it says that he leaves the sixth part of those nations. Now, folks, I want you to consider something. And again, this is the re- about the revelation of Jesus. This is not the revelation of the devil. This is not anything other than God showing himself strong. But if you look at the list of countries that make up this uh, this coalition group in Ezekiel 38, they're all Islamic nations. God takes care of them in one day. What is the world's problem to us, God takes care of in a day. 
And he only leaves the sixth part. Now, if you do the math, one-sixth of 100% is 17%. That means he destroys 83% of the Muslims, the people in these nations that wage war against Israel in one 24-hour period. Now, I'm going to tell you things that I know, and I'm going to tell you things that I think and things that I speculate. Because I could be wrong on anything that, that the Bible doesn't say for sure. This is one of those things. I don't know for sure, but I suspect Islam is going to have a hard time recruiting after that, after that event. <laughs> this will of Allah stuff shows day one of the tribulation to be not worth much. Do you understand what's happening here? Folks, you know what the book of Revelation is to me? Book of Revelation, is, and I like movies like this, where there's a peaceful farmer, rancher, whatever it is in the Old West. He's just trying to get along, but boy, there's, there's one cattle baron that's trying to take over the whole territory. And he tries to run out the small farmer. And the small farmer, he's, he's the star of the movie, you know, and he's just a good old guy. And he's just trying to keep peace and stuff. Well, they start picking on his ranch hands. And he does everything he can to keep peace and, and he, you know, calms his guys down. Let's don't have a range war. Let's don't start a problem here. Let's just, yeah, we know he's, he's evil. We know what his purpose is, but let's just keep it going. And then he just lets it go and lets it go and lets it go. And finally, the evil rancher kills his son. And the farmer puts on his guns and he turns out to be the, the, the agent of death. He turns out to be ninjas on steroids, you know. I mean, he just wipes everything out. That's what the book of Revelation is like. It's like God put up with the attack of the enemy against Israel. God put up with the attack of the enemy against his, his people, his son. He put up with the attack of enemy, attack of the enemy, the attack of the devil against the church. But finally, he pulls the church out of the way, out of the way, and then God does his thing. It's like God finally says, okay, you want trouble with me? Now you got it. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. That's why it's the revelation of Jesus, not the revelation of doom and gloom. God has a scorched earth policy. <laughs> Literally. So day one of the tribulation. And again, the first thing we see happening in tribulation is the, the Antichrist is revealed. In other words, he's released. By that, think of how this works. If, if, the, if the war in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is day one of the tribulation, and if it's not, somebody tell me where else it fits. You, are we going to have World War III before? Um, are we going to have the destruction of Islamic nations around the world before the tribulation comes? It doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense, to me at least. It does to some people. Some people will argue the point. But to me, it seems to make sense that it's day one of the tribulation. And, and I think that's why it says that the weapons burn for seven years. That's a, that's a convenient number when you fit it into tribulation times. If the Antichrist is in charge of this war in Ezekiel 38 and 39, then he's going to be shown right off the bat to be a worthless leader. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if he's the one that comes up with the idea that Russia and Iran and all these other guys attack Israel and then they're soundly defeated, who's going to follow him after that? But I want you to consider a couple of things. If most of Asia, most of, of Europe... And, or um, uh, at least a significant part of Europe, and most of the Middle East is destroyed 
because of this war that begins the tribulation period, there's going to be a lot, a total vacuum of leadership. Now, Russia's not a, a player anymore. Now, Iran's not a player. You've got nuclear nations that are no longer issues. Who's going to step into that gap and be a leader? Well, you know what it's like. People get tired of war. People experience, experience wars, and it's like, okay, we don't want any more to do with that. The Antichrist comes on the scene and says, I'm a man of peace. Let's create peace. And the first thing he does is he makes a peace treaty with Israel. It specifically says that he makes a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. Now, who makes a treaty that's supposed to last only seven years? Yet that's what happens. He comes in and says, we want seven years of peace. Well, after three and a half years, he turned, he breaks that agreement and becomes a man of war, and then he becomes the one to attack Israel. But, folks, my point is simply this. We've got these ideas, and some of it through Hollywood or whatever. We've got these ideas that, that the Antichrist is some giant evil force. He could be some nobody, but there's nobody left. I mean, the European, uh, the European Union, a lot of those nations are going to be completely devastated. Europe, for the most part, is going to be impotent. Everybody's armies are going to be wiped out, or at least defunct. And so now it's a perfect situation for somebody to step in, somebody that may be nobody before, to step in and say, I'll lead us out of this. I think I made this comment before, and it, it bears repetition. We don't know when the, rapture, when the rapture takes place relative to the tribulation. We know it's before the tribulation begins, but we don't know if it's one day before. We don't know if it's a month before. We don't know if it's a couple of years before. It could be anything. The Bible really doesn't say. Now, I was raised in the Baptist church, and if the tribulation was on, if the tribulation started Friday, that means Thursday the church was raptured. That's just the way that we, that's just the way it was talked about. But the Bible doesn't say that's the way it works. We don't know. Maybe it takes a while for the church to be gone, for the Antichrist to position himself, for things to be settled, uh, set up so that the war in Ezekiel 38 begins. I don't know. It's possible. But what do you imagine is going to happen as soon as the church is raptured? First of all, who gets taken? Well, the Bible says everybody that believes in Jesus gets taken. Does that mean all the church people go? Not everybody that goes to church is Christian. So you're going to have people that have heard about the rapture. You're going to have people that have heard about Jesus that aren't, that don't go, that are left behind. If that was you, what would you do? All of a sudden, everybody disappears. Let's say it. Does, let's say the rapture does take place on Saturday night. You go to church Sunday morning, and you and a small group of people are waiting for somebody to unlock the doors. What are you going to think? There's going to be a a number of people that are going to get saved right away from the rapture. The Bible says after the tribulation that Jesus is coming back to the earth and bringing us with him from heaven. That means the church has avoided the seven years of disaster called the tribulation and we will come back and rule and reign with him on the earth. Oh, what a glorious time that is. But we've got a lot of work to do before he comes. Thanks for watching. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. 
So faith begins where the will of God is known. God's Word reveals His will to you. And once you know His will, there is nothing that can stop you from receiving what God has for you. That is the number one problem, the number one objection that everybody has, no matter what the area is, healing or whatever, that is the number one objection that people have. They don't know if it's God's will for them. Well, how are we going to find out? The answer is in the Word. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.